everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, I'm almost at a loss for words. What in the Disney wide world of sports <laughs> just happened? <laughs> That's my new I favorite. Feel like they, I feel like they should rename the whole complex the wild world of sports courtesy of the San Jose Earthquakes and Vancouver Whitecaps. This was one of the most insane games I've ever seen, certainly in this tournament, but I think since I began watching MLS ever, period. Yeah. <laughs> it's so wild. I just, I'm not even, I don't even know what just happened. So for listeners who maybe didn't see the game or are listening to it a little farther removed from kickoff, the Earthquakes were down 3-1 to one in this match. They come back against the Whitecaps and win 4-3. to three. Crazy goals, corner kick goals, own goals, well, an own goal. This game was nuts. We're going to try to sort of navigate through and parse through and even explain some of the things that made this <laughs> game so crazy and hopefully make it make sense just a little bit. So, Jordan, let's start with the overall setups for these two teams. We haven't seen the Whitecaps before in this tournament. They're missing several key contributors, especially in the attack. No Cavallini, no Ricketts, no Freddie Montero. So they're in this game. They're starting out in sort of a 4-5-1 with Jordi Reyna up top. Yeah, it looked to me like when they first started, it was a 4-1-4-1, but I would say they were content with not having the ball and settling into a block, but it was an active block, I think, defensively. And for me, the Whitecaps were just ready to pounce. Like they knew they had clearly watched the earthquakes play in the first game. And I felt like they knew that a mistake was going to come. And when it did, they were able to utilize the speed and the pace they had from the midfield and Jordi Reyna up front to get after the earthquakes. And we know what we get from the earthquakes, right? Exactly what you said. We get the man marking. They set up in a 4-2-3-1 to start the game, but defensively it looks very misshapen a lot of the time, and that's by design. The Whitecaps started this match a little bit on the front foot. They get the early goal from Ali Adnan, where he gets the ball on the left side. The Earthquakes have that free man in the back line, and so they're shifting over to take advantage of that free man. Kashia goes out to pressure Adnan, rotating over as the Earthquakes shift, and because he's coming out so hard, Adnan just uses Kashia's momentum against him, cuts inside onto his right foot, his weak foot for an outside fullback on that left side, and scores at Pass Vega. So the Whitecaps get a good start early on, score, go up at the beginning of this game, and that allows them to sit deep in that block and absorb pressure as best they can. That's a really good point, Joe, because I think I skipped ahead of that before. If they didn't get that goal so early, I would imagine they would have looked different for longer stretches of that first part of the game. And the Earthquakes, I, I am just shocked by this these stats like did you look at the stats I did. of the game I did as it was happening and it was you talk about the earthquakes making excuse me Vancouver making the earthquakes break them down well they were trying and trying and trying and trying the earthquakes the possession numbers in this uh there's a timeline of possession that shows 5 minute intervals and the earthquakes won every single interval until right before halftime yeah they had almost 78% possession in the first half and tons and tons of corners as well. So one of the things that I felt like because of how the game kind of played out is that the Earthquakes knew that they had an advantage to get the ball to their wingers and their outside backs and try to create overloads in the channel and cross the ball. 
the number of clearances is high for Vancouver. They sat in this low block, which is going to give them corner kicks. I think San Jose was prepared to have a lot of corner kicks in this game because they showed a lot of different looks on corner kicks. What specific things did you notice from the earthquakes on those corner kicks? They were willing to do a lot of different set plays, things that you work on on the training ground. And I would say the thing that I would have liked to see from them is to play a few more balls into the mix to start off with instead of playing short so many times. I think you have to set the tone. And when you have targets in the box that can dominate and win headers, I felt like they played a few too many short, but they played the ball short. They would play a little combination in the corner with an overlap and then try to cross the ball as the team, the defensive team started shifting up the field. They played it to the near post. They played it to the far post off of a straight corner kick. They would play it to the top of the box. This is the variety of corner kicks I think you saw from the earthquakes to me showing that, okay, we're prepared to have a lot of corners and to show a lot of different looks. One of the different looks resulted in maybe the most insane own goal I've ever seen or or build up to an own goal that I've ever seen in my years watching soccer. It's in the it's in the 22nd minute. And in my notes, I have what just happened. (laughs) So let's let's run it back. Right. Let's think this through. The earthquakes have a corner on the left side of their of their attack. So it's the corner and you've got two guys over there. It's Espinosa and Erickson both positioned on that spot. They're both in the corner. Espinosa plays it short to Erickson, who then cuts it back to Jackson Yule, who's standing in the left half space about 12 yards outside the box. Yule plays the ball forward to Judson, who then gets the ball swiped right out of his pocket from Dahomey and the caps are off to the races. Jordy Wayne gets the ball, charges down the field. He tries to square it to Dahomey in the box and it ends up getting deflected off Judson. And that's 2-0 to the Whitecaps in the 22nd minute, Jordan. Were you when... They started the counterattack when Vancouver started a counterattack. You're almost like, oh, there's got to be another player that we can't see in the screen. Yes, yes. And then there was no other player. And I think that's why you wrote what just happened. Because San Jose, so they were showing a lot of different looks on corner kicks and maybe got a little too um, risky. Yeah. And threw too many players forward. But I, I think what's important here is maybe not the what... San Jose did, but it's what the Whitecaps did. I think they knew that San Jose is going to have some mental lapses because we saw in the last game that there's little moments where they're not as sharp as always. Reyna is a really smart player, intelligent player. And when he recognizes, well, if I can get this ball beyond this player who's still in, in our defensive half, like it's just me and the goalkeeper running, like me running at the goalkeeper for 60 yards. So I think it was really a good, intelligent play by Reyna. I mean, he didn't have to do much. But run fast in, in a straight line. But run fast. <laughs> but um, I think just recognizing that everybody was pushed up and that little nick off of Yudsen started the whole thing. In general, I'm all for risky attacking play. Love it. Big fan. I love the center backs pushing forward. That's a risky move. Moving all 10 players forward and leaving no one back defensively in the 22nd minute. Not the 90th minute, Jordan. They're not down a goal in the 90th minute pushing for pushing for that equalizer. No, this is midway through the first half and you have 10 players forward in the box. Baffling to me. Yeah, I don't I don't understand what the thought process was there. And I also don't understand how you not only have 11 players on the field, but you have your hold sideline. And nobody was screaming and yelling and being like, why isn't anybody back? They did it on purpose. 
I spent halftime of this game going back through and watching all of the corners from the first half okay. from the from the earthquakes. And I went back and all the corners before this goal, there actually might have only been one, maybe two before the own goal on this sequence in the 22nd minute. They had 10 players in the box or around the box. Uh-huh. And then after the goal, Mateus Almeida shifts things back and they start with only nine guys forward. So that's a deliberate tactic. That was not an accident. That was not someone forgetting that they were supposed to be back and protecting the midfield or protecting the, the defensive half. That was completely intentional. So when they took that player out, they were in and around the 18? When they took... How far back defensively were the, was the last Earthquakes player before they shifted that tactic? Maybe if you picture just half of the field, of the attacking half of the field where the corner kick is being taken, yeah. a third of the way forward from the midfield line, maybe a quarter of the way into that half. So clearly back more, more significantly than before. It, that would allow them to turn and get back and defend. Well, it's a good change. Like, I don't know why it was like that in the first place. <laughs> I wish I could explain that tactic, but I uh, can't, Joe. I think Mateus Almeida made several aggressive decisions in this game. Down 2-0 just before halftime. It's in stoppage time. And what else but another corner kick goal? This time it's Rios. We got the same corner kick taking setup with Ericsson and Espinosa out on the corner flag. After they play it short, Espinosa plays the ball into the box for Rios. And he sort of just flicks it in with the outside of his right foot. He's not even facing the goal. It's a lovely finish. It's a beautiful finish. And also, I feel like because the earthquakes were showing so many different things, I don't know what the setup... I don't know if you can consistently have the same setup if you are the Vancouver Whitecaps. And I'd have to go back like Joe did at halftime and watch every single one of the corner kicks and see what Vancouver was doing. Because there was a space at that near six that the ball was played perfectly for that little flick by Rios. And it it made you think that the two on the ball had recognized that. And they said, okay, well, let's let's play the next one into that space if it's open. I didn't go back and look at in detail all of the Whitecaps defending. But on this sequence, at least, they were zonal marking. They're in this mm. zonal marking scheme inside the box. And there's just no defender in that space. The Whitecaps have their two lines of defenders in that zone, and Rios is in a space where there's no defender. He's at the front in that space you just described, and I think it's a great recognition from the corner kick takers to get him the ball because he's not being man-marked. He's being zonal marked, and that is a danger when you don't recognize that sort of thing when you're not man-to-man in the box. Yeah, well, and if you're zonal, well, that's your zone. <laughs> you better get there. And that's that's the deal with zonal marking is if you're responsible for what happens in your zone, and if you're not alert and aware that that ball is going to come into that space, uh, it's on you. And so that's interesting that they zoned. It was it was like a half zone, half man mark. I think at least on that play, it was full, zone. full zonal marking. Yeah. Um, I love that you also use half times to go back and watch <laughs> additional plays. Like, Joe... Joe, you are, you give me so many ideas. I love that. <laughs> I'm taking notes even during the breaks. We move on to the second half. It's two to one at this point for the Vancouver Whitecaps. In that first half, they hadn't generated many offensive chances. The earthquakes had them pinned back for most of this first 45 minutes. But then after the break, I imagined during that halftime in whatever trailer they're in, they're not in the locker room, but they're in some sort of metal container, it looks like from the, from the inside cameras. But I imagine Mark Dos Santos instructed his guys, motivated his guys to push forward. They'd been pinned deep for so long that at the start of the second half, they come out and they're doing a little bit of a better job getting out from their own defensive third. They're stepping up a little bit. They're pressuring a little bit more. And they get that goal in the 59th minute. Vega underhits a pass to Kasia. Milinkovic intercepts it, cuts it back for Dahomey, who calmly finishes to put Vancouver up 3-1. to one. 
I thought that was the moment that the Whitecaps were going to finish this game off with more aggressive defensive pressure and a two-goal lead. What I found really interesting about that, you did mention just that switch of, okay, recognize the key moments. And I think that's what happened at halftime is they said, okay, there's going to be times where San Jose is going to get comfortable in that turn of possession where they're going to try to build out of the back. Well, when they start to try to build out of the back, we're going to go press them. And it's different than what Vancouver had done in the first half. And I think that's what kind of took San Jose aback a little bit. The play that they ended up scoring on came off Vancouver was trying to create an attack and it was a uh, I believe a diagonal ball that was sent from the left to the right for Vancouver to try to create an attack on that right side it got turned over and then San Jose started to try and build out of the back well once the back pass went to the center back and then to Vega you could see every single Vancouver player go all right this is the time right they all just like started to go man to man, high press, push up the field. And it, it made Vega uncomfortable. You could tell right as he went to go play that ball at the last moment, he saw the player on the top of the box and was like, Oh, I shouldn't do this. <laughs> he shouldn't. He shouldn't do this. But it was good to, that you do have to credit Vancouver for recognizing the cue as when to step because if you are going to, change your scheme a little bit. You want to catch the other team off guard. And I think they did that. I started writing down in my notes, the Whitecaps are stepping a little bit higher in this half. They're picking their moments better before that goal happened. It was literally the sequence leading up to that goal. And I was taking note of that. And I just think it's interesting. The Whitecaps do deserve credit for that, not just because they pressured Vega into underhitting that pass and then scored, but because they made that proactive change. Then we get another proactive change from the other manager. It's Matias Almeida bringing four subs on at one single time in the 63rd minute for the San Jose Earthquakes. It's Wando, it's Fierro, it's Salinas, it's Husin, all on at the same time. Jordan, this is what I wanted to see before this tournament started. Yeah. Have you seen Mighty Ducks? Yeah. <laughs> when they're teaching the new coach, the the Charlie's mom, to say, change it up. Like, that's what it reminded me of. <laughs> Just yelling it from the sideline, and here comes all of the players. You wanted to see this specific thing, this line change, or you wanted to see a line change in order to shift how a game was being played? The second thing. Why not, yeah. right? That's my motto still that is encompassing this entire tournament. This game embodied it very, very well. Why not, right? You're down three to one. You need something. You've just given up an awful goal a few minutes before. Bring on essentially three forwards, three strikers, and an attacking fullback. Change the shape. It doesn't matter. Your shape when you're man marking almost almost doesn't matter. It, it does no. to an extent. But really, at this point, you need goals. Bring in Wando. Bring in your other forwards and see what happens. Just thinking about the way San Jose plays, too. Their shape actually is even less important because they are, when they do have the ball, they're pretty free flowing. Mm -hmm. You you think about the players changing lines, not only uh, in the vertical channels, but also the horizontal channels of the field. Like the, they have players who can pop up nearly anywhere on the field because when they get the ball and they start to possess, they can build this rhythm that almost feels like it has like this South American flair to it. They do pass the ball very, very well, and bringing on more attacking numbers to try to push for that goal with possession seemed like a no-brainer, and I'm just glad Almeida was bold enough to do that. Uh -huh. He was maybe too bold with the corner kick setups in the first half, but just bold <laughs> enough to make this change because it gets goals. It's the 72nd minute. Chris Wondolowski gets that goal after the Whitecaps can't clear the ball out of their box. Wanda rises up in the box, heads it past Crapo to make it 3-2. 
Wando will be Wando and do Wando things. <laughs> like, I don't know how he scores goals some of the times. I don't know how this goal went in. I really don't. It didn't have, like, a lot of pace and power, and um, it barely flicked off his head, didn't have a great technique, but it went in because he's a game changer, and that's why you bring him in off the bench. It doesn't matter if it's a four-person sub or a one-person sub. Uh, he makes things happen, and the other thing I noticed, too, is you, you talk about how, how can these four change a game, not only shift how the team's set up, but Wando is out there with his experience and he's telling people what to do in every single moment. And I feel like that's really important to this Earthquakes team. He brings this belief in them and you could tell, okay, if Wando just scored, we might we might be onto something here. Chris Wondolaski is going to score goals playing Sunday League when he's 85. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then celebrate with the supporters. Yep. Without a shirt. That's I think that is a future for for, uh, I don't know, a little under 50 years now. So the Quakes are down three two at this point and they get another goal a few minutes later. It's the 81st minute off of, you guessed it, a corner kick. It's Erickson playing the ball into Alanis, who heads it to tie the game at three three. Jordan, in my notes at this point, I just have what is going on. <laughs> I I think that's when I. I tweeted out the the why what in the wide world of sports is happening here because I I don't know. I just like didn't know. It was corner kick I also at that time had looked and there were 21 corner kicks for San Jose and what was the clearances at? Like the number of clearances that the White Caps had as well was just a sideways ridiculous. eight, right? Just infinity. Yeah, because really they were defending. So they were defending well, right? They were making it difficult for a long period of time for San Jose to break them down. But you knew like it was going to crack eventually. And San Jose did good at persisting at that. They persisted in the 81st minute with that game tying goal. And they persisted in the 98th minute with Shea Salinas, another of that Almeida Fantastic Four. I tried to think of an alliteration there, but came up short. <laughs> Salinas comes on, picks up the ball in midfield, dribbles forward almost untouched until he gets into the box, works his way through a few Whitecaps defenders. The ball gets tipped a little bit. He still comes up with it and slots it past the Vancouver Whitecaps goalkeeper. What a comeback. Four to three for the San Jose Earthquakes. Did you see the the smoke flare? No, I didn't. I swear there was I swear there was smoke in the celebration huddle, and I'm like, honestly, what is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> um, a very Shea Salinas goal. I played at Santa Clara when Shea Salinas was playing with the Earthquakes years ago. Like he's just been so consistent over so many years, and he continues to do the same thing. Where he is one of those players who is slippery when he starts to dribble at pace, and he finds a way to get through tackles. I think for if you're talking about tactics of this, I think. Tactically, the game for San Jose was it, it shifted when those four came in because it changed to like, who are we? Like, what is our heartbeat? Mm. Who are we going to be and what are we going to represent? And it was like, we're not going to give up. We're not going to back down. And I felt like that was a super something we saw from them last year, that Tommy Thompson, like rah, rah speech. Remember, um, it definitely had that same type of feel to it. Moving forward from this game. After the comeback, after things die down a little bit, what can the Vancouver Whitecaps take away from this match? I think you can look at this game and say what we just said. It's a wild game, and there were some weird things that happened. But when we were watching it, the Vancouver Whitecaps defended together 
And they did a good job of frustrating the opponent. And sometimes that's going to pay off and sometimes it isn't. But I think that they can take away their unity in the way that they play. And I also felt like uh, the unity in the way that they played defensively and their ability to adapt within the game. You had mentioned their shift to a little bit higher of a press in the second half. Um and not to mention when they got forward, they have players that can connect together and, and build something nice. But I think they take away from this saying, just because we got broken down, I don't think, I don't think what they did defensively was poor. Would you say that? No, not at all. From open play, largely, maybe you set aside that 98th minute goal and you look at the rest of this. They frustrated the earthquakes, especially in that yeah. first half into taking so many poor shots, poor expected goal shots, especially in open play in that first half. That's a credit. And then the way they step forward in the second half, another credit to the Whitecaps. With with their actual starting attacking players at some point in the future under Mark Dos Santos, if they can be a cohesive defensive team and couple that with some danger offensively when they do get the ball, that's not a bad look from Vancouver. Yeah. And I think that these games, too, when we've seen a team play once already in this tournament and we haven't seen the other one play at all, like this same thing kind of happened when we watched Chicago play Seattle. It's easier for us to pick up on the things that the team that we've already seen has mm-hmm. has been doing because we've already watched them once. And so I think the next time we see Vancouver, we're going to be like, oh, here are some other things that we recognize because we've seen them play already. We We have to remember like, this is all happening so fast and furious. And this Vancouver team, like, it's not that we're saying they should pack it, pack it up and go home. I think that there are some good takeaways from them. And I'm, I'm actually on the heels of that loss, excited to see what they're going to do in the next game. Jordan, a fantastically insane, ridiculous, absurd game tonight between the San Jose Earthquakes and the Vancouver Whitecaps. We'll be back again soon with another episode of MLS Assist, analyzing a likely not as insane game, but still more soccer. I mean, how do you sleep after that? (laughs) Good night, Joe. Good night, Jordan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 